today is our last Sunday in the Sermon on the Mount. And as we have been working our way through Matthew's gospel, uh, it is, uh, we're going to kind of jump forward into uh, chapter, uh, I believe, 13 by next week. And so we kind of jump pretty quickly. Uh, but we've spent these three weeks on the Sermon on the Mount, and there's a lot of content. There's a lot of things going on here. Um, I had a, a friend call me this week who's going through this uh, same lectionary cycle as we are, and they just said, like, I'm exhausted. Uh, between the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, there's so much there to preach that it's harder sometimes to preach that. And so today we kind of get to, we get to wrap all of that up, and we will end, if you see there the sermon title, those last uh, verses 24 through 29 are, are the conclusion of this sermon. So we will end in the same way that Jesus ends this sermon and, and wraps it all up in a story that, that many of us have probably known since we were children. And so uh, I want to kind of back up just for a moment. So if you have your scripture notebooks, uh, we are on page 30. If you don't and you would like one, there are some up here. Uh, feel free to grab one or there's some back there on the information desk or on the table in the back. Uh, but we will actually jump back a little bit into chapter six because I want you to see kind of what was going on there as we move into uh, chapter seven. So we'll start off there with uh, verse 31. You'll see it up here on the screen. And as you're turning there, uh, this is in the midst of Jesus talking about worry and, and telling us not to worry. So he says there in verse 31, so don't worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Now, just pause there for a moment. We're going to talk a little bit about seeking as we move through this sermon, and that's why I wanted to include this verse. Look at what Jesus is saying. What are Gentiles seeking? They, they seek the things we just read in the previous verse. They're, they're concerned about what they're wearing. They're concerned about what they're eating. These are the things that, that, that Gentiles seek. So we move into the next verse, and Jesus tells us, verse 33, but seek first. These are the things that the people of God should be seeking. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these other things, this is my paraphrase, all of these other things that people are worried about, that the Gentiles are worried about, all of these things, I'll, I will provide them. I'll take care of them for you. But what we need to be focused on, the people of God, is not what we wear, what we eat. We are people who are focused first and foremost on a kingdom. And so he sets this up for us, and that moves us into chapter 7. And we'll move into chapter 7. And one of the things I want you to kind of see that as, he is, as Jesus is saying this, one of the things, and y'all probably heard me mention this before, in Greek, the Greek language does a much, much, much better job than we do when it comes to second person pronouns. What's our second person pronoun? Anybody remember from school? You, all right, so you is the singular. If you're from the South, what's the plural? It's y'all. If you're not from the South, Orion, what is it? You guys, do you not say you guys? Or Ewan, or if you're from Pennsylvania, it's Ewan's. So, and so part of the problem is when we translate these things, sometimes we don't always see what's going on. We don't see in the Greek, when is Jesus or when is Paul saying a plural second person pronoun? When is it singular? And so in this section, as we look through chapter 6, verse 25, which is before where we started, all the way through verse 2 of chapter 7, all of those yous, all of those second person pronouns that you see are plural. 
And then he's, so we're going to kind of start off broad, and then Jesus kind of focuses it into us. Now, if you're a nerd, like I am, and you care, people looked up when I just said, if you're a nerd, that means you are. So if you're a nerd, and you care about these kinds of things, I found something out this week that is really exciting. Now, we've talked about version. There's a version app. It's a great app where you can look, read the Bible on your phone. Did y'all know that there's a y'all version? I did not till this week. So I, I took a screenshot. I've got it up here on the screen for you. This is, this is a real website. And, it, and I, when I looked at it, I'm like, this is silly. It's awesome, by the way. So you can pick two different English translations, and then it has the Greek over there. And so ver, I, I blew up verse, uh, verses one and two there. So you can see in the kind of the bigger window. So it says, do not judge that y'all will not be judged. Now, Orion... And Randy, if you feel left out, when you go to the website, they let you pick where you're from. And if you want to see a you guys, it'll do it. If you, I don't know if they have you in on there, uh, but maybe you need to email them and tell them. But you can actually change that to whatever part of the country you, you live in. Uh, so if you guys is what you want, you can do it. So do not judge so that y'all will not be judged. That just feels weird saying it. Uh, for in the way y'all judge, y'all will be judged. By y'all's standard of measure, it will look measured to y'all. Now, also, because whoever made this website is brilliant, they even have later on in the passage the word y'alls. So, that's, which if you have two apostrophes in a word, then it's just messed up. So, anyway, it's there. So, it's a really good website, actually. Um, all right, so you can take that off the screen, Steve, because they don't need to see it. So, let's go back. We'll read verse 7 the way it's written in good English, <laughs> and we'll, we'll do that. So, chapter 7, we'll read down through verse 6. Do not judge so that you, or y'all, uh, won't be judged, for you will be judged by the same standard which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at this? So, okay, just kind of pause there for a moment. What I, what I just said, verse, verse 1 and verse 2, is there's this kind of collective sense to it, okay? Do not judge so that you won't be judged. This, there's this plural to it. Then Jesus kind of brings this down and is, is, takes away that plural, and this becomes singular. So now he's kind of directing this towards us or towards, towards you personally. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your, out of your eye, then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs or they will trample them under their feet. Turn and tear you to pieces." Now, we're going to just kind of pause there because uh, I think we need to talk. We're going to kind of talk about two different sections before we, we wrap up this sermon. But if we were to take these verses and kind of say, like, what is, what is the question that we need to walk away from asking? And I think the question we need to ask in this section on judging is, how, how are we to use the law in our lives? Because the people that Jesus is speaking to are people, they understand the law. They have been taught the law. They know right from wrong. They know these things. How do we use those things in our lives? 
And I think kind of if you were just to sum up these six verses, I think the easy way to sum it up is for us to understand that the law works best in the Christian life when you first apply it to yourself. The law works best in the Christian life when we first apply it to ourselves. The Wednesday night, Scout and I were coming to church and she started telling me about and asked her permission to tell this story. Uh, I was, we got to talking and she was telling me about an issue at school with kind of like, here's the mean girl group. And, you know, mean girls, after a little while, they turn on each other because they're mean girls. And so one of those mean girls is trying to find a new friend because all of her friends are mad at her. That's what happens eventually. And one of the girls, uh, this girl is kind of going after somebody and Scout's like, I'm just really worried about it. It really, really upsets me. And so we pulled in the parking lot at the church and I, I turned to Scout and I said, Scout, and some of y'all have heard me say this before. I said, Scout, part of what we have to know in life is that all of us have boundaries. And so in, my, in our backyard, we have a fence and whatever is in that fence, that's ours, okay? So if it's in our fence, that's ours to worry about. If it's outside of our fence, it might not be ours to worry about. And then Scout said, but dad, what if there's a hurt puppy dog on the other side of the fence? What if there's a hurt puppy dog on the other side of the fence? Because this, this friend or this person that she knows, she sees as someone who is hurting and she wants to bring that person into her fence to bring that person into her life. And I said to her, I said, Scout, that's, that's where this kind of illustration really works because you get to decide what comes in your fence. Do you bring her, do you, do you make her a part of your life? Do you make her a part of, of what you think is important? And so we had that conversation and that's, I think that's one of those important things for us to kind of see as we go into this. That we have to start asking ourselves, Jesus says to us, do not judge. But for some of us, we know the problem is, is that sometimes there are people in our lives who are hurting themselves. And we want to tell them, you don't have to live this way. And how do we approach them out of love? How do we approach them in such a way that it's not judging? I don't think Jesus is telling us the hurt puppy dogs, just leave them out there and let them figure it out on their own. I think he's telling us that there's more to this relationship thing than just judging someone. And so I want to walk you through kind of some, some pieces of this. And the first piece of this is, is that in order for us to be people who live this out is, we, it begins with humility, it begins with humility, and when it begins with humility, we understand that we don't have it all figured out. I, uh, this week, pulled out this card. I'm sure all of you have kept it. It's uh, back from the summer, a little card that I handed out, and on it was about the humble. And these are the things I said last summer about the humble. The humble see all people as children of God. The humble can praise God when others are praised and blessed. The humble live out Ephesians 4.32, which is be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. 
And the last thing I put on this card is the humble seek like Jesus to be a servant, the helper and the comforter of others, even the lowliest. And I believe this, this all begins with humility. It begins with us understanding that we go to one another in humility. And I think part of that humility is we have to ask the question, if there is someone who is doing something wrong or someone that we think we need to confront or we need to talk to, that it begins with asking the question is, what is my motivation? Is, is my motivation simply that I want to prove them wrong? Is my motivation that I just want to make sure that they know that they're wretched sinners and just in case someone's ever pointed it out to them, I want to make sure they know? Or is my motivation a broken heart? Is my motivation knowing that I can see the hurt and their pain in their life and I can see what this is causing and it breaks my heart? What, what is my motivation? And the third thing is, is what is, what is my role? Do I play a role in whatever is going on in their life? Do I play a role if there is dysfunction, if there is sin, if there are unhealthy patterns? Do, do I have a role in that? Now, if you look at all three of these first things I've told you, there's, there's a theme to them. You see it up on the screen. It, it begins by looking at ourselves. It, it begins by ask, asking some hard questions about ourselves. In the language of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, it begins with the beam. It starts with us. And so we ask these questions, but then we also have the opportunity now to be able to tend to others. That tending to others begins with loving people where they are. That's hard for us sometimes. Sometimes we disagree with someone so much, it's hard to love them where they are. But it begins with us loving people right where they are. And I think one of the last things we have to see is, is it's about us asking God for wisdom in how we walk the line between judgment, loving, are we enabling them, are we judging them, or are we loving them, are we showing them grace, are we walking with them? Are we inviting them into our fence, into our lives? And these are hard things for us to do, but I think it's one of those things that we need to be reminded, there are people who are hurting, there are people who are lost, there are people whose lives are not being, as we're going to get to, are not being built where they need to be built. We have to learn how to walk along with them, how to approach them, how to love them. I don't think Jesus is telling us, you don't, just don't love those people, just forget them. I don't think that's the message here. But the message is it, it begins with us. Looking at motivations, asking questions, looking at humility. So let's, let's move into the next section. Because I know that's such an exciting thing to talk about. So chapter 7, uh, verse 7, we'll go down through 14. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks the door will be open. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. For this is the law 
and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life. And a few find it. So in in the middle of this, we have verse 12. Verse 12 is uh, what we call the golden rule. Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. This is the law and the prophets. This is the verse that we uh, repeated over and over to our children. Why would you do that to your sister if you wouldn't want her to do that to you? And vice versa. I think some of you have said that to your children before. But there's a, there's a story that kind of, that I've actually, I came upon it two different times in two different places this week. But it's a, it's a Jewish story of two rabbis named Hillel and Shemal. And these are famous rabbis, and they would argue and they would have these, these discussions. And I think some of it was really just, uh, just about them kind of being able to ask questions and push people on the way that they thought. But the story goes is that a young man came to Shemel and requested to learn the entire Torah. He wanted to learn the entire law. Well, if you're a teacher, you're like, well, that's great. I would be happy to teach you the entire law. What else? I mean, what else would you want in life if you're a teacher? So he said, yes, I'd, I'd be happy to teach you. And he said, but there's a catch. You have to teach me the entire law while I stand on one foot. In other words... You have to teach me the entire law, and you get about 10 seconds. So there's two, the two different versions of the story I heard. One, he slammed the door on him. The other version was he hit him with a stick. I don't know which one it was. You can pick whichever version you want, but he, he told them to leave. So the young man leaves, and he goes to Hillel. And he goes to Hillel, and he says the same thing. I would like to learn all of the Torah. And Hillel said, that's great. And he said, there's one catch. You have to teach it to me while I stand on one foot. And Hillel said to him, whatever is hateful and distasteful to you, do not do to your fellow man. Whatever is hateful and distasteful to you, do not do to your fellow man. This is the entire Torah. The rest is commentary. Go and learn. Now, this is kind of the, the, the negative version of the golden rule. The golden rule, we have whatever you want others to do to you, do also the same for them. Whereas what Hillel told him that day is whatever is hateful or distasteful to you, do not do to your fellow man. But I tell you that story because there's one statement that he makes in this that I think is just incredible. The statement comes after he says, this is the entire Torah, and then he says this, the rest, the rest is just commentary. The, the rest, the rest is how we live this out. It, it teaches us what this looks like. If I go back to Scout's story about her friend, the question really is, is Scout, how would you want, if you were not making good choices with your friend group, how would you want people to respond? And whatever you want someone else to do to you, do do that to them. And the rest is just commentary. It just tells us what it looks like to live out doing unto others what we would have them do to us. We just live that out. 
And I think this is an incredible kind of place where Jesus makes this transition into kind of wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount. So we get to the conclusion. So let's look at the conclusion and I'll wrap this up as well. Verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the rivers rose and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it did not collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the wind blew and pounded that house and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. When Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority, not like their scribes. So this, this is a famous story, and it, it's one that, one that most of us know, one that we know because we all sang a song about it when we were little kids. But the first thing that I want you to kind of see as we talk about this story and as we wrap up the Sermon on the Mount, kind of conclude all of the last three weeks, the big thing I want you to see is, is that where, your house, where you build your house matters. Now, there are some things that I want you to kind of process as we talk about this story. The first off is with, with their houses, they didn't have crawl spaces. There wasn't a basement. Most of them just built their houses on the ground. And there were times that the storms would come and that the rainy season would come and that it could rain enough where the entire floor of the house would have been completely washed away. So there's some things, though, with these houses, one built on rock, one built on sand, that I want you to think through. First off, is that for both of these houses, their foundations appeared to be totally fine when the weather was good. Both of these houses... The foundations appear to be totally fine when the weather was good. When life was good, you might not even pay attention to the foundation. The other thing I want you to see in this story is that in both of these stories, the storm comes to both houses. But building the foundation on the rock did not mean that this house gets to kind of skip the storm. Both of these houses dealt with the storm. And the foundation did not become an issue until what happened? The storm came. On, on the good day, the foundations are fine. But when the storm came, that's when the foundation showed up. Because see, it's, it's not about avoiding the storm. It's about withstanding the storm. There's no part of this story where Jesus tells us, well, if you do a certain thing, if you live a certain way, you don't get storms. But in this story, we see a story 
that it's about the foundation. It's about standing through the storm. So then we kind of get into the, the whole metaphor piece, all right? So we have a house. What is the house, if we're going to kind of do the metaphor? I think it's, it's us. It's you. And so the question becomes, what, what am I building my life on? What, what does my life look like if it's built on rock? If we're going to play the metaphor, we kind of have to ask some questions too. What, what is the rock versus what is the sand? What are the things that we build our lives on that are sand? I was talking to somebody just a, a couple weeks ago, and they were uh, dealing with, with, a, with a relationship issue with uh, one of their friends. And they said, I don't, I don't know how to have this conversation with where I think my friend is going. And I said to the person, I said, at the end of every service, I read the same thing. I won't read the whole thing because I'm going to read it all in just a little bit. But we need to be reminded that sin doesn't get the last word, but grace does. That lies don't get the last word, but truth does. And I told this person, I said, the way it's written in the back of my book at the first of each one of those sentences, I can go down the line. And if I go down the line, this is what it looks like. Sin, lies, evil, darkness, death. Sin, lies, evil, darkness, death. What is the sand that we build our lives upon? What are the things that we put our hope in that don't lead to life? That don't lead to where we need to be going? What are the things in our lives that we put our trust in sin and lies and evil and darkness and death? What are the values? What are the empires we put our trust in. And, and sometimes I think we even put our trust in things that aren't bad. It's easy to put our trust in one another. It's easy to put our trust in a relationship. But those relationships don't always last. Sometimes relationships are ended. Sometimes we lose loved ones. And when we put all of everything in that, we miss we miss the richness of a relationship with each other. We, we, we put our things in, we put our lives in things that last. We put our, li our lives in things that are eternal. So if I go down the same list, we see grace, truth, good, light, life. The, the rocks in our lives Jesus says, if you hear my words and you do them, God is our rock. Christ is our rock. His words are our rock. Scripture is our rock. The Sermon on the Mount is our rock. These are the things that we build our lives upon that last. Let me ask one more, because it's kind of easy to say, all right, Jesus gives us two options, rock versus sand. 
Some of y'all, y'all know this story because some of you saw it, but when we bought our house, the, our back porch that was screened in back then, our back porch, when they built the porch, uh, the guy that we bought our house from, he paid one of his buddies to, to put the back porch on. And I've talked to him since then, and he said, oh yeah, he's, he was a great builder, he did everything right. The problem was one corner was way lower than the other corner. And so I eventually had to kind of jack it up and I start working. And what I found was the two corners were four by four posts sitting on the ground, carrying a deck, carrying walls, carrying a roof. One corner, it was fine, it was level. The other corner though, was a good seven or eight inches lower than the other corner. And over time, it sunk and it sunk and it sunk. Until finally I had to knock the whole thing out and replace the whole thing and do it right. I think sometimes in our lives we think, well, I've, I've got my life on the rock. And to, today what I want to ask is, are, are all four corners on the rock? Are, are there places in my life? Is there just maybe one corner where I've put too much trust, I've put too much value in sand? I've, I've put too much in something that isn't eternal, something that doesn't last. As Sharon read from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 to us earlier, Paul does this beautiful, this beautiful thing at the beginning of Corinthians, right before, I mean, Paul, if you don't know, Paul's like gearing up, like I'm about to let this church have it. And I'm kind of gearing up, but before I gear up and let them have it, I need to speak some truth into their lives. And Paul uses some examples and says to him, you as a church, you need to know some things. You are God's building, you are God's temple. But God is building on something and it's a foundation. And no matter how pretty it might look, no matter how good it might look, no matter how altogether it might look, if the foundation doesn't last, if the foundation isn't on something that can withstand the storm, we are not going to withstand the storm either. And it's all of the foundation, not just three quarters, not just seven eighths, all of it. And Jesus says to us, I've, I've given you the answer. It, it's about my word. It's about these words. It's about this life. Living this life, giving ourselves to this, this is what lasts. These things are what last. My word lasts. My father lasts. The Holy Spirit lasts. These are the things that are eternal. To be people who say, I want to build my life on Christ. And the story of Christ that I know is the story of grace and truth, of goodness, of light, of life and resurrection, of one who defeats sin, lies, evil, darkness, and death, because those things can't withstand the storm. They will crumble. Where are the places? Where are the places in my life that I've put too much trust and value in the things that aren't eternal? 
This morning, as we close, we're going to sing a hymn, and it's a hymn that we have already kind of sung once today. But it's words that, for many of us, we have spent most of our lives singing here and there. But a reminder to us to build our lives on something that lasts, something that truly matters. Listen to Paul's words in Corinthians again. According to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation. As a master builder and as another builds on it, but each one to its each one is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any foundation other than that that has already been laid, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. But hear Paul's words, be careful how you build on it. We, we have the foundation. But are we building on sand or are we building on the rock? As we sing, y'all know how we normally close. If you would like to pray with the pastor, Pastor James will be right over here at this far altar. I will be right here at this altar if you would like to be anointed for healing for any reason. Uh, spiritual, emotional, physical, We'd love the opportunity to pray with you. Or maybe you just need to find a place to be reminded. To renew yourself, to say, I, I need to know that I'm on the rock. The storms will come. But the question is, do we survive? And Christ says, you'll absolutely survive if we're built on what lasts. Let us stand as we sing.